Hello. Yes. No, the, it, was, it was echoing. I thought I was in a cave or something like that for a second. Hello. You're an idiot. You're an idiot. The Grinch, anybody? Okay. Um, sorry. That's totally unbiblical. Jesus said if you call anyone an idiot, you're, uh, you're guilty of sin. But uh, anyways, but it's for laughs. Anyways, okay, so um, super excited to continue in today's sermon uh, series of parables and prophets, prophets and parables. We've been talking about that for the past couple weeks, so if you haven't heard those and you're interested, they're all on the Facebook, um, also our podcast as well, so you can go check those out. Uh, But today I'm just going to be continuing along those lines, and uh, you know, we're in the season of Lent, and so here at the River Church, although we're Pentecostal, we do observe the church calendar. Um, and also another thing that Bradley and I have been on, you might have heard him reference the lectionary, lectionary, L-E-C-T-I-O-N-A-R-Y. It just is um, every single week, there's churches all over the globe that observe, like these are the scriptures that we read from on these Sundays. It's just certain scriptures are assigned to certain Sundays. And so I thought, well, Got nothing in, in particular for this week, so let me go look at the church lectionary, and let me go see what's, what's on there. And actually, both the, the scriptures from the prophets and the gospels fit right into what, uh, with each other and what I wanted to preach about this morning. So uh, God just you know, did some cool things in there. So with that being said, we're going to start off, I'm just going to read the scriptures, and then we're going to pray, and, and we'll go on. So uh, I believe I sent these uh, to you. Let's go to the next ones first. Next. There we go. This is Jeremiah 31. You can turn there in your Bibles if you want to. Jeremiah 31, starting at verse 31. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. Go back one. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, or some versions say, uh, written on their hearts. And I I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Amen. Let's go back one. This is be the scripture from the gospel for today. From John 12, Jesus says, or sorry, it starts with this. Some Greeks who had come to the Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. They said, sir, we want to meet Jesus. Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. Jesus replied, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Amen. I just had a flashback uh, back, and you know when you're growing up, there's certain traditions you have in your church that used to say, uh, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Anyways, um, so yeah, because they used to like stand up, you know, whoever knows what I'm talking about. Hammer UMC, shout out. Anyways, um, okay. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this day. Lord, I pray that, uh, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would overcome my goofiness in this time, and Lord, that we would be able to dive into your word, Lord, and, and, and get something out of this to apply to our lives, Lord, because we don't want to leave here the same, or we want to leave here changed. We want to leave here different. Lord, help us, uh, Lord, to see, see the error in our ways in our lives, and Lord, just to live to be more like you, Jesus. Help us 
on this day, on this day to get the daily bread, the spiritual bread that we need, uh, Lord Jesus, to, to live more like you. It's in your powerful name I pray. Amen. Well, the... Did you hear that? Yeah, you hear that? The, the famous country singer said, rain makes corn, and corn makes whiskey. And whiskey... Never mind. Anyways, but... <laughs> Country music is not the only place where you hear uh, metaphors or stories about plants being grown. Uh, the Bible has all sorts of botanical metaphors. Botany, the study of plants, right? Uh, there's all sorts of plant metaphors all, all throughout the Bible. If you read the Bible front to back, you're going to see all sorts of different scriptures that have references about plants or, or um, you know, crops, farming, any sorts of things that grow in the ground. And I think, I think in our, our normal lives, anybody who lives in a city like this, I mean, we're not too far removed from the country. If you just drive 10 minutes on Frederick Highway, you'll be in eastern Missouri, and there's farms everywhere, right? But uh, if you live in a city, you're, you're kind of removed from that. So modern-day culture, like some people go to the supermarket, they don't even know where their food comes from or how it gets there, which is weird to think of, right? Because, I, I mean... I think everybody in here would probably know exactly where their food comes from, right? But back in the day when the Bible was written, this was metaphors that everybody knew exactly what they were talking about because these are people very ingrained into agriculture, all that good stuff. So that's just a little tidbit for you. If you read your Bible, you'll notice it. They're there. And we see in this scripture in John 12, this is our parable for today. Jesus uses a parable. I would say it's more of a metaphor, but we're going to stretch, stretch the truth a little bit today. It's kind of like a, a one-line little parable that Jesus tells about his coming death. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes into his glory. And he's using that phrase to refer to the cross, right? And we don't really think of the cross as very glorious. And this is kind of jumping ahead to Good Friday and Easter Sunday a little bit. But, but the cross really is where the glory of God shines forth because we know that Jesus is the 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 uh, visible image of the invisible God. Amen. That's what it says in Colossians chapter one. We know that Jesus is everything that God has to say, that, that the full character of God is shown forth in Jesus Christ. And where is it shown forth the most? Where he's hanging on the cross, forgiving sinners. Amen. You and I, that's, that's where we are forgiven is at the cross. And so Jesus says, when the son of man comes into his glory, doesn't seem very glorious to us, but it's where the glory of God is shown forth. And then he goes on to explain it with this very, very small parable. He says, I'll tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. How many of you know that whenever you, you look out, uh, maybe during harvest season, you see some corn out there in the fields? Everybody's seen cornfields, right? Okay, I'm talking to Missourians, right? Okay, just making sure. And, but you know that several, several months before that point, that, that corn didn't just happen. It, didn't just, it wasn't just there, right? There was a seed that was planted in the ground. There was, there was corn seed that was planted in the ground. And I don't know all of I'm not an agricultural major. You know, I'm not a farmer man. But I do know that there's a lot of work that goes into it. It's planted into the ground. And as Jesus is saying here, that kernel goes into the ground. And he, he uses the metaphor of dying because that's what he's about to do, right? But it goes in the ground and it comes up later as, as a full harvest, okay? Jesus goes into the ground after his death, right? Jesus dies. Jesus dies and goes into the earth. And this is what Jesus is doing here is he's using a parable to talk about his own death. He's, he's, he's talking to these people and 
terms that they can understand. Because what happens is whenever a seed goes up, that seed grows. It grows to be big, and it grows to do what? It goes on to provide food for people, and it has a much larger impact than the single seed itself. And what Jesus is saying here is that his death, his death of him dying on the cross and going into the grave and coming up out is not just good for him, but it's going to be to the benefit of every single human being that has ever lived. Amen? It's going to provide a way of salvation. It's going to provide a way of forgiveness, a way of mercy and grace for you and I. Amen. Are we all in agreement, right? Jesus' death provides a way for us. And so Jesus is very, telling a very simple metaphor here of how him going into the, into the earth, him dying, is going to be much like a kernel of wheat that is planted and comes up and produces benefit for many, produces a large benefit for many. This one kernel produces new life, new life. I want you to think about that just for a minute, new life. Not the old life, new life. Everybody at the beginning of the year sets New Year's resolutions. How are those going for you, by the way? Anybody, anybody good? Uh, okay, just checking. Anyways, new. Everybody loves something new. Everybody wants the new iPhone or the new PlayStation or the new tennis shoes or maybe a new car, right? Everybody loves something new, right? New because it's fresh. It's different. It's something other than the old. It's something that's going to bring benefit to your life other than what was old because in our minds we think new is good because old is bad. The old thing I had was bad. That's how we think about things, right? Well, I want you to think about in that context new life. This one kernel Jesus is talking about himself produces new life. New life. Read what it says there. A plentiful harvest. A plentiful harvest of new lives. There's new life. And Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So we know this kind of new life that Jesus is producing is not just something that is plain and boring and, you know, that you know, God's just going to give us a little bit of life. No, it's new and it's abundant and it's plentiful. And I want to get that in your head right off the bat this morning because as we, as we move into our discussions here this morning in this sermon, I want you to understand that God does not have an average life for you, okay? We say that again. God does not have an average life for you. God has called us to be different, amen? God has called us to be something other. That's literally what being holy means, is to be set apart, to be different, right? They called the God of Israel different, holy, set apart, because he was so much more different than back in the day. Let me tell you something real quick, uh, just a short fact. I wasn't planning on talking about this, but Molech, you'll read about him in the Old Testament, was a deity worshipped by the other people of the day in ancient Israel. You know what Molech commanded his people to do? Obviously, Molech didn't do that because Molech isn't real, but they believe that, Mo, they believe that Molech commanded them to sacrifice babies. Terrible, right? Terrible. The God of Israel values life. The God that we serve values life, amen? Amen. That's a whole different discussion for another day, but the God that we serve values life. And so the term that they attached to God in the Old Testament was holy, set apart, different. We're supposed to follow in his footsteps. We're supposed to be different. God has not called you to live an average life. God has called you to live a new life, a different life, a holy life, an abundant life, a life that comes from the life source. All right, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but Jesus said, I am the true vine. I am the vine and you are the branches. You remain in me and I remain in you and you will produce much fruit. There's another botanical metaphor about grapes and fruit. Whenever we remain in Jesus, when we remain connected to him, then we are falling in his footsteps, falling in 
in the holiness that he has set out for us, and we live a different life. People wonder why church attendance is going down, why belief in Christianity is going down, while faithfulness in Jesus Christ is going down. Why is it going down? Because we're not living lives that are different. People look at Christians and non-Christians and... Yeah, people look at Christians and non-Christians and they don't see any difference. They don't see any difference. This is just a, a stat, but when you look at the rate of divorces amongst Christians and non-Christians, they're the same. When you look at, I, there's no way to handle these stats, but I bet if you looked at the rates of gossip versus, in Christians versus non-Christians, it might be higher in Christians. I got to wear the shoe too, man. We all got to wear it. We all got to take responsibility, ownership, extreme ownership. Why is the church like this and how can we change? Because the church, let me tell you something for everybody sitting out there, even if you're new here, the church is not just the pastors and the worship band and the people who come every Sunday. You are the church. I am the church. We are the church together. Every single person that calls himself a follower of Jesus Christ, we are the church. And so we got to start living like it. We got to start living in that space and being his hands and feet being his hands and feet every single day and living a life that is different. It all goes back to what Jesus is saying here. The kernel that goes down into the ground comes up and produces what? New life, abundant life, plentiful harvest for many people, okay? And so Jesus hangs on the cross. I don't want to get too far ahead into Easter Sunday, but it's good news. Every Sunday is a miniature Sunday, right? What Jesus has done on the cross, bearing your sin and my sin, bearing shame, or not shame, shame, bearing sin, bearing death, bearing the powers of hell in the grave, and he takes it into the dirt with him, and what's he do? He comes out without it he's shaking it off because you, your sin and my sin was left in the ground there and now we have that same life that Jesus had we, we, we sang about this morning right that same life now lives inside of us giving us new life we have that new life Jesus comes and he gives us this new life yeah I'm not even going to talk about that we'll save that okay anyways so Man, that's really throwing me off. Anyways, uh, so then we get, to the, we get to the scripture of Jeremiah, okay? And so, so we agree, we all agree here that God has a new life for us and all this good stuff. But we get to the, the Old Testament scripture for today, Jeremiah chapter 31, okay? And this is where it gets really interesting, where we can really get into the weeds of what I want to talk about. Because we can stand here all day and say, oh, I want to live a new life, I want to be different. The church should be the church, yes and amen, right? But there's really a lot of nuances that we need to talk about when it comes to that. What does that really mean on a practical level? Because it's one thing for uh, you know, a preacher to get up here and just say things that sound good, but it's another thing for us to take actual concepts and apply them to our life. How does this work on a Tuesday? You know what I mean? How does this work whenever we're at Walmart or whenever we're you know, out and about? Like, What does it actually look like to live a life of a Christian and be a Christian? Well, Jeremiah, thousands of years before Christ, he, he, he predicted this, this whole section we read about is about Jesus, okay? And it's about the covenant that God would be creating with his people in and through Jesus Christ. We read about it every single Sunday when we do communion. Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood, right? So there's a new covenant that God created through Jesus Christ, and you and I, as part of the people of God, can partake in this. Now, in this section of scripture here, uh, God, through the prophet Jeremiah, is speaking directly to the Jewish people, but how many of you know that through the blood of Jesus, the Gentiles are included into God's promise, not just the Jews? Did you know that? In the Bible, originally the promise of God was just for the Jewish people. That's why Jewish people are called God's chosen people. But in and through the blood of Jesus, all walls, all barriers of hostility are broken down, and the Gentiles are included into God's promise. And might I add, that was always God 
God's intention? Was it to include the whole world? Back whenever Abraham was blessed, Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. The blessing that God gave Abraham was for the benefit of the whole world. God's blessing on the Jewish people was always for the benefit of all of humanity. And we see that in and through Jesus Christ, okay? It's just an important detail for as we read this, you're going to see, it's going to say Israel and Judah, and you're like, we live in the United States of America, <laughs> you know? No, it, it, everything, every promise that is made to Israel in this is included, we are included in that because we are part of the people of God, amen? amen. So let's read it from the top. Uh, Jeremiah 31, we'll start with verse 31. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Now listen, this this is the important part I really want to get to. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. They will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. We've been talking thus far about how we're to be different, how we're to live a life that is not average. Average ain't getting us very far, folks. The average Christian life is not getting us very far. Average just means what everybody else is doing. If you look around and see what everybody else is doing as far as Christians go, it's just not getting us very far. God has called us to live above that. Well, what does God say here in Jeremiah 31? He says that I will put my instructions in you. I will put, it will be written on your heart. It will be inside of you that God's law, that God's commandments, that God's spirit, he doesn't say that directly, but we know that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, that it will be put in you. It will be inside of you that you don't have to be, you know, go up on a mountain and meditate for three days and fast for the three days as well and and ask God, what should I do? No, it's put inside of you that when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, God's law, God's instruction is put in your heart. It's put inside of you that his spirit is in you working in you. And so we don't have to go looking for it. It's within us. And we know that God's spirit is in us. And so what should that mean for us in our lives? That means that we have a, have a radically different life. We have a radically different life, that the Christian's life should be measurably different from the people around us, that, that a Christian life should be noticeably different from the people around us. Why? Because we have the Spirit of God inside of us, able to counsel with Him every single day via prayer, every single day via worship. We can counsel with the living God, and we can go to Him and say, God, what should I do in this situation? So I, asked, so I remarked, and I said, what does it look like on a Tuesday? Well, that's something directly for you and God to figure out. This is not a custom you know, tailor-made message for every single person in here. That's where you have to have that relationship with God every single day, amen? It's not just Sunday, it's every single day. I struggle with that, we all struggle with that, right? But it's an every single day thing that we have the relationship with him. But there are a few things that we should be thinking about, okay? One, our speech, different speech. You know, how do people of the world talk? Just, I don't want anybody to raise their hand, but just think. How do the people of the world talk? About each other? About enemies? About so-called friends? Um, men, how do 
other men talk about women. Women, how do other women talk about men? How do we talk about maybe people who are um, they're, they're struggling in some way, whether that's you know, uh, a mental illness or uh, some sort of deformity, some sort of something that seems other, right? How do we talk about those people? How do we talk about people that maybe have less money than us or people who have more money than us, people who have different skin color than us, people who live a different lifestyle than us, people that come from a different culture than us, people that speak a different language than us, right? Pastor Bradley said it brilliantly once. Everybody, all Pentecostals want to hear different languages and they come to church. But when they go to Walmart, they only want to hear one, right? <laughs> um, but how do we talk about people who have different languages, different socioeconomic backgrounds? How do you talk to other people in general, right? Scripture says we're supposed to be filled with kindness and gentleness and humility. How do people of the world talk and then how do you talk? How do you talk? How do I talk? How do we all talk to each other? You know, the biggest sham in life was the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a bunch of garbage. I mean, words hurt. Words matter. Words are like toothpaste. When you get it out of the bottle, it ain't ever going back in, okay? It matters. It really matters how we talk to one another. That's why Paul, when he's, con when he's consulting these churches in the New Testament, he tells them to, to watch their speech, to get rid of words of anger and malice, to get rid of all harsh, harsh speaking. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. It has no place in the body of Christ, and it has no place in your life and my life. It has no place in the church. And as we've already established, you are the church. Not just this four walls, not just this concrete building, but... We are the church everywhere we go, and so it should not have any place in our life. Amen? Amen? Different attitude. How do, how do the people around you think? How do they think? What's their frame of mind? Are they always negative? Are they always looking at things, uh, you know, like nothing's ever going to get better? You know, I think when I talk about attitude, I'm talking particularly about a negative attitude, an attitude of pessimism, you know, an attitude of glass half empty type people. But whenever I read the Bible, I read the Bible, yes, the Bible is very, very, um, you could say soberly minded about the terrible things in this world. Yes, terrible things exist. But the Bible is also evangelistically loud about the great hope that we have, Amen. We have a great hope. We have a mighty hope. If you're in here this morning or you're watching on Facebook, we have a great and a mighty hope. And it's about time as Christians that we start thinking like it. Amen? That things might look dark, but I have a God who turns beauty from ashes. Amen? I have a God that sees us through the night. I have a God that sees us. He's a way maker. He's a promise keeper. He's a light in the darkness. And it's about time that we start thinking about it, thinking like it, you know? I run into Christians, how you doing? Oh, okay, you know, you know and, and I'm not saying that if you, if you really are sad or whatever, that you should just reject your feelings, that you shouldn't, you know, consult with, you really should. You, should, you should have somebody in your corner that you can go to to talk to about stuff, but at the end of the day, we have a great hope, we have a mighty hope, we have something to be positive about, you know, in this world today, man, how many of you know the world needs hope, come on somebody, we need some hope, I'm tired of, you know, I don't even watch the news, you know, deleted Twitter, I'm tired of seeing all sorts of, Facebook deleted it, you know, the app, you know, I'm, I'm tired of seeing and all this stuff that just negative Nancy's everywhere. I just, it's just what it is, you know? Yes. And man, we've got a great and a mighty hope, a great hope in Jesus Christ. The scripture calls him the hope of glory. The hope of glory that where the, where the, I said this before, where there's bad news out there, but there's good news in here, amen? 
And there should be good news in here, in here, in here, like in your heart. We've got to have a different attitude, a different attitude. No matter how bad things look, we've got to have an attitude with a, a reflection of God, there is hope. There's a blessed hope that we have. For every Good Friday, there's an Easter Sunday. I will say that. Different emotions, these kind of go hand in hand. But I, I, with this, I just, want to, I just want to touch. When things go awry, what is somebody's first reaction? You know, uh, at work, you know, maybe uh, John, John's like cleaning something, okay? And maybe he spills a bunch of cleaning materials or something like that, okay? Been there, he says. And when that happens, his supervisor just flips out on him. I don't know if this has actually happened, but let's just say the supervisor just flips out on him. Just instant rage, instant anger. You know, people of the world, people that don't live godly lives are very quick to become angry. What does scripture say? Scripture says, be slow to become angry. Be slow to become angry. You know, what are your emotions? Are your emotions in check? What is your emotional intelligence? You know, are, are you able to, to self-identify when you're feeling a certain way and ask yourself, is this biblical? Is this what God would have me to do? You know, because a lot of times we just feel the way we feel. We don't even think about our thoughts. We don't even think about our feelings. We don't think, is this how Jesus would feel about this situation? And I'm not saying that you, know, you should betray your feelings. If you feel a certain way, like I said, you should have people in your corner you can consult with and go with. But Pastor Bradley and I talked about this uh, just earlier this week. You know, There's a certain individual in my life that I was having some quarrels with, and it felt good to get it off my chest to him. But then the very next thing that came out of my mouth is I said, I know this is not how Jesus would want me to feel, so I'm going to pray about it. And that's how it is, guys. We can feel certain things. The Bible says, be angry yet not sin. We can feel certain things. It's good to have people in your corner that you can go to. But at the end of the day, you've got to say, is this how Jesus wants me to feel? Is this what Jesus wants for me? And if it's not, we've got to turn that over to the Holy Spirit so we can live a different life, a different life. From the very beginning, that's what I said. We need to live a different life. So at work, whenever everything goes to hell in a handbasket, what's your immediate reaction? Are you, are you ready to throw hands with somebody? Are you ready to, you know, say, say with chest, man? You know, are you, ready, are, are you ready to go talk? You know, you're just in an angry fit, and you're just going to go talk terrible about them to every person around. Or are you going to talk to God about it? You're going to talk to God about it. Because that's what we need to do. That's where we can have different emotions, okay? This really all goes, a lot of this goes back to the, the fruit of the Spirit, right? I mean, we're a Pentecostal church, Amen. Pentecostal church. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Amen? The Holy Spirit ain't just about the gifts. It's also about the fruit. The Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these such things, there is no law. We must have those things marking our lives. So if you run into an emotion that is contrary to that, we got to get ourselves in check. Say, oh God, help me to have more self-control. Help me to have a little bit more patience. Help me to have a little bit more kindness, a little bit more gentleness, some understanding about the situation. Amen? Amen. Because I, I, you know, this is reading in the story a little bit, but I do wonder if Jesus ever had a cynical thought about something. You know, these disciples, man, they just cannot get it. You know, I, I just wonder. Because the Bible does say, that he was tried and tempted in every way that we are tried and tempted. That he has gone through our experience. And it would be, a, it would be cheap 
for Jesus to, you know, to, for the Bible to claim that Jesus has gone through everything we've gone through for him to not really gone through everything that we've gone through. I truly believe that Jesus had to keep his emotions in check. There was times where he wanted to do things that he knew was not the holy way to do it, you know? And, and we're to be the same way, to follow in his footsteps, amen? Um, different economics, you know? Um, you know, there's just a certain way that the world you know, teaches people from the very young age, you know, to, that America, especially America, um, you know, what's that commercial? It's my money and I want it now. I always think about that. It's my money and I want it now. And, and that's, that's, that's the mindset, you know? Boom. What did the disciples do in Acts chapter 2? This is very challenging. It's always challenging to the American mindset. As an American, I'm like, even right now, I just don't even want to say it. But they sold everything they had they moved, all moved in together and they gave their possessions or they gave their money to the poor. In America, we're taught to take what's ours and maybe a little bit of whatever's left over, we can give that away. But in the kingdom, God calls us to give away everything and maybe there's a little bit left that's ours. That's true. And obviously there's nuances of this in, in, you know, biblical personal finance and all this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, we should be thinking differently. How do the people around you think about their money? You got to get your money, man. How do they think about it? And then how do we think about it? You know, I don't have the quote with me right now. But I've read them multiple times in church. The quotes of the early church fathers of, of the accounts. The, the, coat, the extra coat in your closet belongs to the man that has none. The shoes that you've never worn belongs to the one with none on their feet. You know, we need to have a different way. And, and you know, so economics is kind of slash giving, you know. People, people that live in the world are not very giving people. Not very giving people. But think in your life, how can I be different in my giving? In my, in my giving of my resources? And, and, and whenever it comes to money. And they say, you know, money's not everything, but... It's the only thing that we keep track of, right? So it really is, it is, it really is a big thing in our lives, and we need to keep it in check. God, help us to be different with where we direct it. Help us to be different with our giving. And that's why, that's why, you know, Pastor Bradley, he doesn't ever want to seem like, you know, uh, what's the word? Selfish or, or not even selfish, but like he said it was a blasphemous time to talk about the offering. But that money, 100% of it goes to help people. You know, 100% of what we do in the church. So I, on the other hand, don't have any, I don't feel any guilt saying that we should, uh, you know, that offering should be given. Because it goes, I mean, ask Jane, it goes directly to people. It goes directly to help people in the community. Um, and so as a church, we're really trying to live this out, different way of thinking about money. But in our personal lives, how do we do that as well? Question to ask yourself. Uh, and this last one here, man, just hits a lot of current um, things on the head. A different morality. A different morality. I'm just going to speak my mind. You know, in, in, the, in the world today, there's a lot of people that say, my morals are my morals and your morals are your morals. Um, that it's my truth. My truth. Uh, my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. Um, and I would say, no. There's, there's a capital T truth and his name is Jesus. And that Jesus has a certain way that he feels about things. And Jesus has a certain way that we should act in our life. Certain ethics, certain morals that we should live our lives by. And there's certain things as Christians that are just non-negotiables. That we believe in the sanctity of life. That we believe that every single human being is valued and created by God. And that, that has a lot of different nuances and a lot of different political implications and all this kind of stuff. Not just with abortion, but many different things. 
but we should have a different morality about us, okay? And this, and this is what I will say on this, is that as Christians, because we have a different morality, a different ethic, a different way of living our life, that means that we should not agree with either party in this country. And that's just my two cents. I'm sticking by it. We should not agree with either party because there are certain things that both parties support that Christians should not support, okay? And as Christians, we're to be pro-life in every single instance, not just in the womb, but all the way to the tomb, okay? Everything in between. If you care about, if you, if you care about a child that is in the womb, then you should also care about it when it gets out of the womb, Right. Whenever it comes, and we can. There's a lot of different nuances there in terms of economics, in terms of you know free healthcare or versus privatized healthcare versus all these things. And those are discussions that people should have. But at the end of the day, wherever you come in your political things, and and people say I don't want to get political, but pol politics really influence every single day of our life, whether or not you, you realize it, because this is how we live together. Okay. Politics is not Republican versus Democrat. It's humans and our interactions with one another. And so you've got to. You got to say, well, I'm not, I don't like to get political. I'm not saying that you should have a party or even opinion about every single thing, but you should know what you believe. And I believe what Jesus believed. And I believe that every single person has value in their life. And so that should at least be your mindset whenever you come to, to believe what your positions are on certain things. Is it, am I making sense? Yeah, we should have certain principles, certain values, certain things as Christians that we are different. And we don't bend on those things. We don't bend on those things. Um, you know, in the, the church, a lot has, has married itself to power. And because it's married itself to power, they've had to compromise on things, things that never should be compromised. You know, if, I'd say this, like, if you think that the baby in the womb is important, then you should think that the kid that, you know, just got bombed in Syria, you should think that they're also important too. You know, that all of it's important. Like, all of it matters. It really does matter. Like, like, if human beings really are created by God, then every single one of them matter. And these are things that we got to think about, you know, be intelligent, you know, human beings about. Like, this stuff really, really matters. We got to be different. 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 Last thing is different relationships. Different relationships. Um, you know, because I already mentioned it earlier, but the statistics are, are, are not different in divorce between Christians and non-Christians. Not just, I'm not just talking about marriage relationships, I'm also talking about friendships, you know, co-worker relationships. Like, we have a really, we're really, really bad. Like, like modern humans are really bad, really terrible about relationship management. <laughs> like, really terrible about, about having conversations with one another and managing relationships and seeking the other person's benefit first. And, and, and doing some of these biblical principles. You know, the Bible says that, husbands, you should love your wives like Christ loved the church, you know? I mean, that, that right there, that's super, super important. Women, it says that you should submit, but that doesn't mean what a lot of people think it means, okay? It simply means to be a partner. That's what, Adam, that's what God was created, created Eve for Adam, was to be a partner, to be an equal partner, to be someone there alongside and for so long, a lot of relationships are like one-sided, you know, and as a result, you know, obviously goes down the drain. We've got to get better at relationship management. And I believe that this book offers a lot of solutions. Amen? Amen? Let me say that again. I believe that the Bible, that God's word provides a lot of solutions, particularly 
in the life of Jesus. If you look at how Jesus handled relationships with people, you will learn a lot about how you should manage relationships with people. Amen? How did Jesus treat strangers or people that were different? He welcomed them. He loved them. You know, how did Jesus, you know, treat people that did wrong? He forgave them, but he also taught them. He also had conversations with them, you know? Everywhere Jesus went, he was just like talking to people, having conversations and, and talking. And, and I, I do believe that in this country, we've lost our ability to not just talk to each other, but to hear each other. And I think we need to regain that, you know? Jesus had an ability to talk, not just talk, but to listen and to hear and to have compassion. And those are things that we're missing nowadays. So the last thing I wanted to, to touch on was that we need to have different relationships, different relationships. I really do think that's one way that we can really mark ourselves. How do we, have, how do we interact with one another? Because at the end of the day, you know, all the stressors of our lives, all the things that stress us out, all we have is each other. All we have is each other, the people around us. We're all just trying to survive. And at the end of the day, if we can implement the teachings of Jesus and, and our relationships with one another, we can be seen as different, a new life, a new life. And Jesus's death won't be in vain. It wasn't in vain, obviously, but the point being with that is that Jesus died for you. He died for you. He died for you. He died for you. He died for every single person in this room, every single person watching, every single person living. He died for them, not so that they could just live out their days moseying along, living in sin and living in shame, but so that they could experience the life and the forgiveness and the mercy that he has for them, so that they can walk in the freedom of Jesus Christ, and so that they can experience the life that I'm talking about, because if many of you have lived this life for long, you know that living a life in the will of God, there's no other place I would rather be. I was talking about this the other day, you know, because last week's sermon with Pastor Bradley, you know, he was talking about how the Christian life is hard. It's hard. But Jesus also said that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How do those two things make sense? Well, there's a meme, there was a, a meme going around and it said this, you know, marriage is hard, divorce is hard. Being in shape is hard, being out of shape is hard. You know, uh, I can't remember the rest of them. Oh, being, being financially secure is hard, being broke is hard. It's all hard. Life is hard. But the difficulty that Bradley was talking about in living the life with Jesus is so much easier than living in a life of sin. Living in a life of sin gives you a weight on your shoulders that just burdens you down. It burdens you down and, and it causes you to, to live in, in shame and, and you don't really have that sense of, of connectedness with God. And there's, I would really hate to be in that spot. Living in the will of God is the only way to live. I'm firmly, I firmly believe it. And so he's called us to live that life. He's put it in us, guys. He's put it in us. He's written it on our hearts. So when we go out, you know, tomorrow's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. The week's long sometimes. You know, you're like, oh, man, everything's getting me down. Talk to God. Because God has something for you. He has something for you. Believe it. He, he's not forsaken you. You're not alone. He is with you. And furthermore, he has put his instruction in you. He's put a spirit in you so that you can go out and live the life that he's called you to live. Amen? Amen. We all fall short. We all strive to do this, I believe. I believe, you know, we, we strive to do this. We do. But I do also know that we fall short. And thank God for his grace. Amen? His mercies are new every morning is what scripture says. His mercies are new every morning. So whenever, whenever I'm not going to say if, when you fall down, because you will, 
You're going to try and go out and, and put, implement the things we've talked about today, and you're going to fail. Not to be a Debbie Downer or a negative Nancy. But when you do, we serve a gracious God, a forgiving God, a God that empowers us to go on the next day and the next day and to live in that process over time where we're trying to follow Jesus a little bit by little day after day, growing closer and closer. Uh, what's an old hymn say? A closer walk with thee, right? Every single day, that, that step over time is what we call sanctification. It's a fancy church word that just means you become more like Jesus. Become more like Jesus. You live a little you make some mistakes and you learn and you move on and you, you keep growing closer and closer to Jesus over time. We are serving a merciful God. Now, before we go into our time of communion, I want to read this psalm to you. This is also the psalm of the day. I decided to just go all the way with the lectionary scriptures. Psalm 51, it's really, really uh, fitting for when we do fail. So listen to this. If any of you in here know you have sinned, uh, you know, we've all sinned, but if, if there's something really pressing on your heart, I want you to uh, listen to this and even, even kind of pray it with me in your spirit as I'm reading it. Psalm 51, 1. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. Amen. This journey that we have with Jesus really is a journey. It's a a marathon, not a sprint. You're not going to get there like that. But every single day, we're striving, we're striving, we're striving to have better speech, to have better attitude, to have better emotions, uh, better, better way that we think about money and, and giving, better morality, better, better like following closely what Jesus has said, you know, uh, and, and better relationships, better relationships, relationship management, and, and loving one another. Amen? Jesus, Jesus uh, this is not in my notes, but Jesus summarized the whole law in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That's it, folks. Um, you know, Pastor Jonathan Garlock, uh, the second, many of us in here know him, but he said that somebody in his church was tired of him preaching about loving other people. He said, well, when we figure it out, I'll stop preaching about it. <laughs> and, uh, but it's true. It's true. It's definitely our biggest enemy is how we treat one another sometimes. Um, and, 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 and Lord, help us. Lord, help us. And when we fall short, that Psalm 51 is definitely our cry. God, create me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Amen. I'm going to ask the band to come up and we're going to enter into a time of